Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Good news because we just got all of our boxes from America. So those of you who don't know, I just moved to Germany with my fiance and I haven't seen some of this stuff in months, including a pair of night vision goggles. Let me see. Okay, here they are. Okay, so I have my reasons for owning a pair of night vision goggles, but what makes me more interested in these is... Why, when I look at the night vision screen, is it green? In fact, there's a lot more to the color green than meets the eye. Wink, wink. <laughs> Plants are green. Kermit the Frog is green. Heck, let's make a whole episode of Little Curiosities about the color green. So let's talk about it, shall we? Oh, hello there, all of you lovely curiosity enthusiasts. I'm Kendall Long, and this is the podcast Little Curiosities, a wonderful little show where I take a simmering spark and turn it into a blazing campfire. And if you're like, hey, Kendall, I know you, you're that crazy taxidermy girl. Well, you would be right. Some of you may remember me from a show called The Bachelor, where I was on a quest to find love. But for this podcast, I'm on a whole different kind of quest one where I fill my and your heads with a bunch of knowledge. And today's episode is no exception. So let's get into it. As you can tell from my spark earlier in the episode, these night vision goggles got me thinking an awful lot about the color green. We associate this color with nature and the environment, but also with gross slime and sickly hues. We have phrases like green with envy, to give the green light, having a green thumb, the grass is always greener on the other side, or my new personal favorite, green about the gills. I had absolutely no idea what this meant, so I looked it up, and it means that someone has the appearance of looking sick or nauseous, which makes sense because whenever I see a cartoon when someone's looking sick, their face is kind of green. So in the spirit of curiosity, I did inquire a bit further about this phrase and its origin, this phrase came about in the mid-1800s, and it did have something to do with real sick fish, but not the ones swimming in a pond, more like the ones we eat. Because apparently, a way to tell if a fish is fresh is by the color of its gills. Gills start out bright red, then as the fish ages and becomes less fresh, they turn to dark red, brown, and then green when the fish has officially gone over the hill. Straight to the bin with those fish. Do not eat them. I'm guessing no one wants to eat a green-gilled fish in fear of becoming green-gilled themselves. Hence the phrase. Regardless of what color your water breathers are, green is undeniably a very important color, both to our world and to us as humans. It allows plants to eat, gives people the ability to see at night, and it also keeps you from being pinched by a mischievous leprechaun. So let's dive in, green gills and all, and learn all there is to know about the color green. First question on our agenda is, why is night vision green? 
So as I enthusiastically announced earlier, I recently reacquired or more like refound a pair of night vision goggles. And no, I'm not planning to go on an ultra tech spy mission in the middle of the night anytime soon. My interest with night vision lies primarily in the ability to see little critters who roam the world after the sun goes down. The world of the nocturnal. Now, my pair of nifty night vision goggles came equipped with a recording feature, so I'm definitely going to snag some images of night-loving animals for future science video content, so be sure to look out for that on my Instagram at It's Kendall Long. But the real question I have is, when I turn my goggles on and look off into the night, why is the world suddenly green in its lens? The color green and night vision are so recognizable that whenever we watch some spy or army movie and the scene has this green tint, we automatically know it's a night scene. But why is it green and not blue or orange or any other color for that matter? To get the answer, we have to delve into a bit of history. So night vision goggles were first developed in Germany in the mid-1930s, and America wasn't far behind with their version of this night sight technology. But the original night vision devices were nowhere near the goggles I have in my hands today. They were invented to be used by the military during World War II, and you can imagine how seeing at night would be an incredible advantage. Just ask an owl. This original form of night vision technology was dubbed Generation Zero. Probably because they were extremely impractical, especially in the field. They were large and bulky and incredibly fragile. Advancements in night vision technology has vastly improved since then. But one thing remains the same. The images are mainly green. I did see online that there's some sort of white night vision, but when I looked at those images, it really did look like a lighter shade of green. So I'm just gonna say that those are also green. So why the color? To answer that, we have to look at the technology behind the device. So night vision is designed to pick up whatever light is available. At night, this primarily comes from the moon and stars. That light is then focused on a photocathode, which is located in the night vision device's image intensifying tube. In this tube, the collected light particles or photons are transformed into electrons. These electrons flow through that image intensifier tube going through a disk called a microchanneling plate. As the electrodes hit this plate, they cause bursts of voltage which in turn gets these electrons extra excited and cause them to move more rapidly. Because of this motion, dense clouds of electrons are formed, and this amps up the original image. Now, on the other side of this image intensifying tube, there's a screen coated with a layer of phosphor. When this screen is hit by all that energy produced by the electrons, it converts them back to photons and starts to radiate visible light. Now, this visible light doesn't carry any color information. So when it hits the phosphor, which naturally emits a greenish light, it glows bright green, which is the image we now see through the night vision goggle lens. Another reason why night vision is primarily green is because the human eye can differentiate more shades of green than any other color. I'll talk more about this later, but first some childhood nostalgia because phosphor not only makes night vision green, but it also is the reason why glow-in-the-dark toys are green. 
So do you remember those glow-in-the-dark stars that you could stick on your ceiling as a kid? I'd roll a ball of tacky stuff on the back of those suckers, then reach on my tippy toes, and voila, a beautiful art piece that, come nightfall, would transform into a greenish glowing night sky. Ugh, I just loved those as a kid. So fast forward to today, and I just got this little tiny dash hound. My brother gave it to me as a funny gift, and it's glow-in-the-dark, and it resembles my weenie dog pistachio. To make both those stars and my treasured little dash hound present and other glow-in-the-dark toys, plastic is mixed with phosphor. Phosphors can radiate light after getting energy from other sources, like the sun or another bright light. You've probably done this a million times as a kid, I know I have, but if I hold my mini pistachio toy against my bedroom lamplight, it soaks in all that energy emitted from the light bulb, and then when I move it away and then hide it in the darkness of my palms and look inside, I'll see it casting a greenish glow. That greenish glow is the energy absorbed by the phosphors now being radiated back, This process is called photoluminescence, or cold body radiation. But don't worry, it's not the dangerous type of radiation, despite it being called cold body, which also makes me think of a corpse. (laughs) Cold bodied more so because the light doesn't result from heat, like burning coal, wood, or paper. You'd need something like hot fire to ignite those things. On a side note, I found out that teeth and nails also have phosphors, which is why they glow green when you expose them to black light. So that's why I look creepy when I'm doing neon golf. (laughs) Also, side note, side note, did you know that green helps us see a color that doesn't technically exist? Magenta. Magenta has no wavelength, so there's no place for it on our color spectrum. The only reason why we see it is because our human brain doesn't like having certain colors next to each other. Magenta's complementary color, which can be found because it sits opposite to magenta on the color wheel, is green. So our brain doesn't like green between purple and red. So it just straight up substitutes a new thing? Can we even call it a color? I'm not sure what to call magenta anymore. What is it? Okay, so remember when I said the human eye can see more shades of green than any other color? So let's get to why that's the case. There are, in fact, a few reasons. Firstly, I'll talk about how our eyes work in perceiving colors in the first place. You see, (laughs) to put it in a very summarized way, our eyes can detect a range of different shades of colors based on the wavelengths these colors travel in. Different rods and cones in our eyes' retinas are activated by these different wavelengths, which send signals to the brain, which then process them as colors we see. Blue is on the bottom of our wavelength range, while red is at the top. The middle of our visual range is where we see the best. So which color is smack dab in the center of our visible spectrum? Green, so we can perceive it better than most other colors. Now, the rods in our eyes can also see green colors best, and there are roughly around 100 to 120 million rods in the human retina, which is way more than the 6 million cone cells we have. So, once again, green reigns supreme. On a side note, despite green apparently being our eyes' most favorite color, it is actually the rarest eye color in the world, at only 2% of people having it. But the highest concentration of green-eyed people can be found in Ireland, Scotland, and Northern Europe, 
where a staggering three-fourths of the population, that's around 86%, have green eyes. So if you're living in any of those areas, having green eyes wouldn't be rare at all. But all right, back to answering the question. So why would our eyes have evolved to favor seeing various shades of the color green in the first place? Way back in our evolutionary past, our ancestors spent a lot of time amongst the green, with green trees, bushes, and grass. I'll talk more about why the vast majority of plants on Earth were green later in the podcast. As omnivores, seeing more shades of green helped us to figure out which plants to eat and which ones to avoid. It comes as no surprise that being able to see more distinctions between bad and good plants help us to identify them that much better. When fruit is not yet ripe, it has hints of green that tell us, hey, I'm not ready. I'll taste much better in a few days when I absorb more sugar from the sun. <laughs> That's my best uh, interpretation of an angry apple. But we also see this in bananas. The greener, the less sweet, aka not good for making banana bread. The variation of greens in the foods we eat made me think of going to the grocery store to buy avocados. I am a California native, and I love myself some avocados. I literally eat them every day with everything. When I walk up to the avocado section, I'm faced with a whole variety of different shades of green. If anyone buys avocados, they know that color plays a huge role in distinguishing which avocado you should select. If I want to get some avocados to hold on to for a future meal, say a week or maybe longer, I select ones that are bright green in color. If I want to select one that will be ready to eat for, say, lunch the next day, I'll select a darker shade of green. And if I'm making guacamole for a game night with friends and absolutely need some avocados I can easily mush up and eat right away that night, I get the darkest of the bunch. And can we agree that there's nothing worse than needing an avocado for a recipe that night and then realizing that all of the dark, ripe avocados have already been taken? The avocado struggle is real. But luckily, my eyes can detect all those beautiful shades of green. So if they're there and I want to have avocados basically every day because I do, I could select a few varying shades so I can accomplish a well-timed avocado meal prep. Mission accomplished. Thanks, eyes. <laughs> It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Okay, reason number two why we have a preference for green. If you've ever seen the TV series Fargo, you'll know that a riddle presented in one of the episodes gave a possible second explanation as to why humans evolved to favor visualizing green. 
in season one of the series, a serial killer seemingly gets away with murder when he's cleared from a case due to a corroborated alibi. While the suspected killer is exiting the police station after his release, a frustrated former police deputy involved in the case and convinced that this is the bad guy, now getting away with it, runs up to him asking, why did you do it? Lie. To which the killer replies in a riddle. Do you know why the human eye can see more shades of green than any other color? He then goes on to say, when you figure out the answer to my question, then you'll have the answer to yours. Such a classic villain move to have a riddle and just walk away ominously. But later on in the episode, another police officer gives an answer to the riddle, saying, Because of predators. Used to be because we were monkeys, right? And in the woods, in the jungle, everything's green. So in order to not get eaten by panthers and bears and the like... We had to be able to see them, you know, in the grass and trees and such. Predators. Don't judge me on my accents. Uh, all the characters in the show have accents, and I'm sure I'm butchered them. But the main point is uh, the killer probably was alluding to being a predator himself, not the other way around. But just like the answer that the police officer gave, humans were more likely to have evolved the sensitivity for green hues to avoid being potential prey. The ability to see more detail in their surrounding could have enabled them to detect predators and their camouflage amongst the complex jungle backdrop and through tall grasses. Tigers have evolved stripes to reflect shadows, but their bright orange hue at times could give them away amongst the green leaves and foliage of the jungle. Snakes slithering along the ground, hiding amongst the green grass, can more easily be spotted so we can avoid stepping in the wrong spot. Our ancestors depended, and we still do because I know I don't want to step on a snake, depend on seeing more shades of green. One of our favorite pastimes relies on the fact that our eyes can see the color green the strongest. I'm talking movies, television shows, apps on our phones, anything using screens, web monitors, and pretty much all online stuff in general need green. All of these color screens use a grid of little red, green, and blue light sources, aka pixels, to make up the many colorful images broadcasted on them. As an art major, this left me curious. Why is it that screens use red, green, and blue, not red, yellow, and blue? My intro-level class in color mixing, aka kindergarten, told me that the primary colors are used for mixing, red, yellow, and blue. You mix blue and red paint to make purple, yellow and blue paint to make green. See? Green needs yellow to exist. But electrical screens are much different than mixing paint to make certain colors because they give off or emit light. RGB, aka red, green, blue, is an additive color palette, meaning that the more color you add, the brighter it gets. White light is created by adding all the colors together, making it the brightest color you see on your screen. Color printers use CYMK, cayenne, magenta, yellow, and key. Key is basically black. I don't know why it's key. There are only so many rabbit holes I can go down, so we'll leave it there for now. But these colors are used because it's a subtractive color palette. The more color you add, the darker the color. In that very same kindergarten class, I would experiment with mixing all kinds of colors together. And the more I added, the more the end result was muddy or black in color. Paint absorbs light. It doesn't emit it like a TV screen or your phone screen would. So because these colors are perceived as different wavelengths of light, these colors work very differently. Replacing green with yellow misses a vast array of hues, especially violets and bright greens. 
so red-green-blue is much more effective. Because of this, and our eyes' specialized ability to see green, digital screens have almost twice as many green pixels than red or blue ones. But it isn't only humans that rely so heavily on the color green. I know you know I was going to talk about it eventually, but plants need the color green to more effectively harvest sunlight for food. Chlorophyll converts energy from the sun into sugars that helps plants grow strong. But why is chlorophyll green and not red or any other color? So first things first, we see objects as the colors they are because this is the color being reflected back at us. So plants are green because they absorb all the other colors cast down from the sun's rays, and they reject green light. Kind of like how kids reject broccoli by throwing it back at you or just reflecting it back at you, to say it as a plant would. <laughs> now, the interesting thing is, if plants absorbed all of the sun's light, they would be black, since black objects absorb all wavelengths of light. Objects that are white reflect all wavelengths of light. This is why wearing black clothing on a sunny day makes us feel hotter, and white clothes make us feel cooler. Black objects take in more energy as heat. Since plants eat by absorbing all that delicious sunlight, you'd think it would make more sense for them to be black so they can maximize that intake. But surprisingly, the sun emits the strongest in the green part of the color spectrum. So why exactly are plants reflecting the very color the sun emits the most of by not absorbing it? If you've ever tried to take care of a plant at home, you would know they are a bit sensitive and particular about their living conditions. I've learned this the hard way many, many times. Too little water, they die. Too much water, they die. Pot too small, they die. Plant next to a plant they don't like, they die. They're a picky bunch of leaves, especially when it comes to what they harvest from the sun. And there's actually a pretty compelling theory on why plants absorb the wavelengths they do. You see, different wavelengths of color have varying levels of energy. Blue wavelengths have more energy, and red have less. Green is somewhere in the middle. It's important to note that the sun isn't constantly giving off the same amount of energy throughout the day. Its intensity can fluctuate with solar flares that result in the sun giving off more light energy. At the same time, plants in a canopy are frequently tossed around by wind and being covered and uncovered by neighboring plants or overcast weather, so their position is somewhat unstable, and a quick change in a plant's environment can shock it, which is no bueno. So I guess that means when I take my indoor plant and move it outside because it's not doing too good inside and I think outside will make it do better, it just does even worse. It's like, hey, you just dramatically switched my environment. What gives? But plants can protect themselves from these changes by controlling their intake of different color wavelengths. Leafy greens do this by averaging out what they absorb, so less damage can be inflicted on a plant from a sudden shift. You see, plants know how to balance what they need to thrive. They're doing good on their own. No solar flare or stormy weather can take them down, for the most part. If they just soak in all that light willy-nilly, plants would be much more vulnerable to environmental fluctuations. By being picky with the light they photosynthesize, they can protect themselves more successfully. Is it just me or is this episode making me a better plant mama? So, kind of like how plants sport green to protect themselves from sudden changes in their environment, 
On March 17th, I make sure to wear green, but not to protect myself from the weather or the sun, but to protect myself from getting pinched, because green is unmistakably the color of St. Patrick's Day and the Irish people. But why did they choose green? Aside from Ireland's nickname as the Emerald Isle, because the island is unmistakably full of beautiful plant stuff just as far as the eye can see, the Great Irish Rebellion of 1641 also had its part in giving rise to the popularity of the color. When military commander Owen Roe O'Neill led the rebellion, he used a green flag with a harp to represent the Confederation of Kilkenny. This was a group that sought out to govern Ireland and to kick out the Protestants who had taken control of the land of Northern Ireland. Because of this, Irish Catholicism is especially associated with the color green. St. Patrick, who the holiday is named after, is also credited with bringing Christianity to the Irish people. And according to the St. Patrick's Day legend, he used a shamrock, which is often mistaken for a clover just because it's also a green plant with three leaves, to explain the Holy Trinity. This leafy green symbol is just another reason why green is the color of the holiday. The people of Ireland brought St. Patrick's Day to America, and it evolved into a day to celebrate Irish culture. They would wear green to show pride for their country. And anyone not wearing green? Well, they would get pinched because it was seen as disrespectful, and it was just a playful way to punish the non-wearer. Just a little side fact for you, back in the Victorian age, the color of kissing the Irish could actually be the kiss of death. That's because a lot of the dye used to stain the clothing, that beautiful emerald green, was made of arsenic, and it caused all sorts of suffering for people exposed to it. And yes, it was very deadly. But something potentially even worse was that it also caused ulcers to be produced all over the skin. Scabs and sores would appear everywhere it touched. It made people's hair fall out, caused them to vomit blood, all before shutting down their livers and kidneys. And, well, death followed soon after that. And green wasn't just popular for clothing. Toys, soaps, and beauty products all took on the poison hue. It was also a staple color for wallpaper and carpets decorating homes. It is said that Napoleon himself died as a result of decorating his bathroom in this deadly green color, and he was rumored to take frequent and long baths. But you'll be happy to find and very relieved to know that we no longer dyed green clothing in this way, so have absolutely no fear showing some Irish pride this St. Patrick's Day, because when it comes to wearing green, you should be good to go. Speaking of go, why does green mean go with a stoplight? <laughs> Do you like that segue? Was it natural? <laughs> it's one of the first things I remember associating with the color green as a kid. Red meant stop, green meant go, full speed ahead. The story behind why is actually pretty interesting, so I couldn't leave it out. The very first traffic light systems were used to control railways. Green initially meant caution for trains coming into the station, and white actually meant good to go. After a few of these catastrophic collisions due to the train conductors mistaking the stars in the horizon for an all-clear light, something had to change. To avoid repeating these tragic incidents, train companies quickly got rid of the clear white lights, and instead, green became the new color used for the go-ahead. Roadways and highways used this color scheme as well, and thus traffic lights were born, creating the classic red, yellow, and green traffic lights we recognize and use today. 
So I'm sorry to have so much death and destruction in those last few stories, but hey, in the end, Green ended up saving the day, right? And you know who else saved the day and was Green? The Hulk. Stan Lee originally designed this big buff baddie to be creepy and gray. The Hulk character was inspired by the grayish corpse-like Frankenstein monster, the switching personalities of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and a creature called the Gollum, which is a fascinating Jewish legend. Now, this creature was made completely out of inanimate matter, such as clay or mud, and it's said to neither be good or bad, causing both war and hope, isolation and despair. You know, I'm seeing a lot of similarities between the Gollum and our anger-driven superhero, our green giant. Hulk was meant to rival The Thing, that big orange stone guy from the Fantastic Four, and Stan Lee reportedly picked Grey for the Hulk character because he didn't want him to be linked to any particular ethnicity. But you know, I just don't think Hulk was meant to be Grey, because the printer used for the first edition of the comic had trouble keeping Hulk's grayish skin tone consistent on all the comic's pages. A few of the pages showed Hulk's grayish skin tone with a greenish shimmer, Stanley liked the hue and asked the artist to make Hulk green for the second edition, and it's remained this color for nearly 60 years. A lot of people say that Hulk wouldn't have been as popular as he is today if it wasn't for his green complexion. And you know what else? Green is the color of money, and the Hulk character made a lot of it, generating around a billion dollars in revenue. That, paired with the fact that he was one of the most popular superheroes in the Marvel Universe, and uh, I'd say that misprint was a good thing. Alrighty, well, that about wraps up this episode of Little Curiosities. You know, I guess I wasn't surprised that there was an abundance of information on the color green out there, but I'm more blown away by the things I didn't expect to find and that I learned while researching for this episode. I've officially come away with more of an admiration for the color. From emerald to olive, sage and lime, it turns out green is just as diverse as its many different shades. I hope that all the things you learned about green have officially changed it to your new favorite color, because it's now my favorite color. I mean, how could it not be? And if it already was your favorite color, then, well, this episode was truly meant for you. And if you want to change someone else's favorite color, make sure you share this episode with them or anyone else that wants to go green. If you liked this episode or have any more fun green facts, let me know in the comments. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes filled with the information that makes you look super cool at dinner parties and dates. Thank you all so much for listening to Little Curiosities. I love making these episodes, so it really means a lot that you're all here to be a part of it with me, lending an ear. So truly, thank you. If you forgot, I'm Kendall Long, and gee, I hope you didn't forget, but hey, it takes me a while to remember names too, so hey, maybe next week we'll be on a first name basis, and then we'll hang out every week and become best friends. Speaking of next week, I'm looking forward to finding another subject that has sparked my curiosity, and then I'll share it with all of you. So until next week, I'm practicing German, so this is how you say bye in German. Tschüss! I really hope I didn't butcher that. (laughs) Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q-Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Will Tendy. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. 
Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Are you ready for the ultimate Love Island experience? Join us on After the Island. We're going back to where it all began, Fiji. Love Island USA Season 5 is making a splash on Peacock right now. And guess what? Your favorite recap show is back too. Welcome to After the Island. Join us as real-life besties and co-hosts, Elizabeth and Alex, as we deep dive into each sizzling episode of Love Island USA. We'll spill the tea, interview contestants, answer fan questions, and give you unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to the wildly popular world of Love Island. Don't miss a single moment of the drama, romance, and unforgettable island vibes. Listen to After the Island on any streaming platform.